welcome to the Pioneer Valley Church of Christ podcast. Here we will have a collection of sermons, conversations, and other inspirational material to help you grow in your walk with God. We hope you enjoy. I'm Tira Root, and I am sharing communion with you all this morning. So I am just past the 10-year mark as a disciple of Jesus. (laughs) And this is, as I was reflecting on 10 years, um, this was the scripture that came to mind. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I didn't tell you up front, but that was John 6, verses 66 to 68. So I was a sophomore in high school when I said, Jesus is Lord. And one of the best and biggest changes of making that decision was being a part of a group, (laughs) fellow disciples. I was a loner then, very academic, a total bookworm. Um, And being accepted into a group was the biggest gift besides my salvation and getting to look forward to an eternity with God. And what ended up happening (laughs) over the course of Um, the years that I've been a disciple was when one of the darkest periods, and honestly, I think it's the darkest period of my life as a disciple and from before then, um, it was when I was wounded by fellow disciples. While I was in college, um, the ministers were constantly calling us higher, and even though I was already doing all I could, I tried to respond with the softest heart to the gospel, and that set the bar for being a disciple higher and higher and far too high. And so I just constantly had questions running through my head of like, am I taking enough time to care for the needy? Am I giving enough of my money? Am I spending enough time sharing my faith? Am I giving away every possession possible that I can spare with time that I didn't have? And so, um, And then you have school on top of all of that, and you're like, I'm supposed to be, like, excellent in these things. And so it was so much. Um, I had the voices of other campus disciples in my head, celebrating victories of friends, getting baptized, and, like, writing theses about things like the Bible and feminism. And (laughs) um, I had my minister's voices in my head telling me, follow them as they followed Christ, and the only times that I saw them were at church or at Bible talk. And so it's like, okay, so following Christ, follow them, but these are the only things that I see you doing, and there was so much more of life that I had questions about and that I wanted to know how to follow Christ in. I didn't have the space, didn't have the time. Um, I had too many that trying to hit that bar <laughs> and couldn't. It was so, so painful. Um, And yeah, I wasn't having the same victories as everybody else, so I believed I was failing. My goal became following my leaders, not following Christ. 
and I felt this deep but tumultuous silence inside as I no longer heard or felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I was too focused on people to take in God. I lived in crippling daily guilt over not doing or being enough, and eventually I wondered if I should stay part of this kingdom family. The moment that question crossed my mind, though, I had a moment like Peter. Where else could I go? No one will ever love me as much as Jesus. He died for me and for you. Other people could die for you, but could they also come back to life for the joy of getting to be with you for eternity? Could they love you so purely you never need to question their motivation? I got baptized because I decided this love was real and it was worth giving up whatever would separate me from it, no matter how painful. And God makes it abundantly clear. We aren't one with him unless we're loving one another. Um, I can think of 1 John 4, verse 12 right off the top of my head, but just, just read the Bible and you'll, you'll find that it's a very um, consistent theme. Um, I, could, I could no longer see myself as, um, like I had to choose because of the cross to no longer see myself as worth the grade I got from my spiritual leaders. Like I couldn't see my eternal worth as tied to how well I completed these tasks of the kingdom. I had to see myself as a sinner, ransomed and liberated, taken down from a death on a cross. Jesus died the death I should have, that should have been on my shoulders. I had a long journey of rebuilding with God, letting him remind me of who he was, letting him speak where that pit of silence had been, even if just one bite-sized bit of scripture at a time. I re-engaged with the truly incredible family of believers, this time as a sister with dignity, not a slave to others' expectations. I talked with the leaders who I felt most hurt by. Granted, after two years of not being near them, um, I got to share what hurt me so they could avoid hurting others the same way in the future. And two years, it felt both too long a wait and yet too soon, but the Spirit let me know when I was ready, when I was strong enough in him not to be crippled by their opinion if my attempt at unity went all wrong. And if Jesus can endure the cross, I can un endure an uncomfortable conversation. He died for them, too. I'm going to treat other people as worth the pain for a chance at reconciliation, just as Jesus did. I remember the effect of the cross on my life when I read these words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. God wants eternity with all of us as his and each other's family. Just as he endured wounds to show us his love, we'll, ha we'll have wounds to endure to show his love to each other. We need space for, we need space from those who hurt us. I don't want, um, I'm not saying to stay in an unhealthy situation. I needed that space and I needed that time. And we also need to do everything in our power to not hurt each other. <laughs> and that's kind of the point of family. We, we need to protect each other. Yeah. What I want to, what I'm trying to say is we need to acknowledge that we'll hurt each other because we're flawed. And more important than our flaws, we are accepted by the Lord and called to reflect that to each other and therefore form family. And yeah, I'll pray for us.
before we take communion. <laughs> God, thank you so, so much for this opportunity to get to share my story with my family here and to get to take part in this sacrament that you've given us to remember you and really just bring you into ourselves, that we get to take your body and your blood, remember what you've done for us, let that come into us, revitalize us, and let us then reflect you to each other. And I love how in John 17 you say that our unity is what will show the world that you are who you are. And so I just pray for you to work powerfully during this time, move in our hearts, help us to reflect, and help us to remember that this is about the joy of being together for eternity. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I've been asking for a guitar riff for like seven years now. Is that me? Go. I'm turning it back on. So how we doing? We'll get through this. All right. Can you still hear me? Okay, very good. Let's turn our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Guys, the tech team worked so hard back there making all this happen. Really, really grateful for them. Um, I wanted to just, before we get started here in 2 Corinthians, I, I wanted to make sure we're aware of some prayer requests that have been uh, placed before the family. Um, uh, the first one is uh, we want to... We want to absolutely be praying for Stephen and Rebecca as they've become new parents. Uh, lots of joy, very little sleep. And uh, so we want to pray for them here and little Theo as he's, as he's come around. And we want to pray for uh, Scott and Anna as they are grandparents and uh, all that that means. So we'll, we're going to get to that here in a second. We also want to be praying for Joe Sperry. Uh, last week, Joe Sperry's mother passed. And uh, as a family... We want to be giving to him. And, and when you talk to Joe, you would never know. He, he continues to give. He, he's, he's pretty amazing. Um, but there, there's, there's a significant loss. And it would be wrong for us not to, not to stop and, and pray for our brother, pray for the entire family. And then uh, we want to pray for all that's happening uh, around the world, specifically Ukraine. Uh, so we're going to take a, a moment to do just that. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Uh, before we enter God's word to, uh, to place these needs at his feet. Father, as we enter your throne room, it's been really great to sing. It's been really great to, uh, even in the singing, rejoice yeah. and think about your promises yeah. and all that, all that, Father, is included in that. And perhaps to lament at our wandering hearts and needing to return to that fount. Father, we're, we're grateful that we've had this opportunity this morning to do just that, to be brought to the foot of the cross, to be reminded that, Father, relationships are so important and, and that, Father, the relationships here, they, they bring great joy and they bring great pain. But, Father, it's our relationship with you that keeps us rooted and able to, to move forward and take the steps, however painful, however challenging. 
to, to where, Father, your glory will be lifted up. Father, we, we, we're grateful to be in your throne room. And so as we come, we place at your feet our, our brother Joe, the entire family, that, Lord, you will please bless them and comfort them as they go through this long shadow. Please, Father, help them to remember who you are and, and to be grounded, Father, by your strength, by your love and your commitment to them. I pray we as a family can, can surround Joe, Tammy, and, and let them know, remind them, Father, of your love through the little things that we may do. Father, place within our hearts, place upon our hearts, the things that, Father, will lift them up and, and help them to get through this time. We want to pray, Father, for the world. Um, it can seem so overwhelming. We, we, we're not sure exactly even what to pray. But, Father, we know that at this moment there are many who are very cold. There are many who are very hungry. And there are many that are suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And, Father, this can be overwhelming to us as a, as a community. And, Father, our initial response is to place our heads in the sand and pretend it isn't there. But, Father, we, we, we're given this authority as your children to enter your room and, and, to, and to plead with you. And so that's what we're doing. We want to ask that, Father, you intervene, that those who are cold, that, Father, blankets can be brought. For those that are, that are hurting emotionally and physically, that, Father, interventions can be brought to them so that, Lord, that recovery can occur. I pray that, Father, your church will shine at this moment and that, Father, we can be the hands and feet that, that I, I think you created us to be for just such time. Father, the Ukraine conflict, the war there uh, on both sides, for the Ukrainians, the Russians, for the Eastern Europeans that, that feel the threat of war, the cloud of war on their borders, I pray that, Father, you can move in a way that, Father, we can't imagine right now. Lord, we need you. We ask, Father, for you to work. Father, we, we come back to this moment here, and we ask you to please be with our hearts. As we open your word and as we, as we look into the scriptures, we pray that, Father, you can guide our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be different than the men and women of the world um, who seek to fulfill it, their own agenda. Uh, and I pray that, Lord, we can seek your agenda and, and, Father, live for that. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done to show us who you are through the cross. It is in your son's name we as a community pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says, So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. They used to look at Christ and say he's just a prophet, he's just a man. They do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... If anyone has made Jesus Lord, if anyone has been baptized, this is what the scriptures say to you. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. 
All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Wow. What a scripture. That says so much right there. What the Bible is saying is that through you, Christ is speaking to the world. Through your voice, through your actions, through your posts. God is speaking through you. Wow. What a responsibility. I'm going to take you back, share a little story with you, to a 17-year-old Sajjan Sharma. He was different back then. He was, he was different. And, and he was walking through the streets of West Lafayette, Purdue University. And he was looking around, and he was feeling small. Because there was, it's, a, it's a college of like 36,000 people. He's walking around, and he sees this one gentleman. And this guy, he had a... He just had this, I guess the word we would use right now is this swagger. He had this confidence. He had, I would watch him and I'm like, oh, he's pretty awesome. I, I didn't even know him. I would look at him and I'm like, I want to be like him. And uh, I joined the, the martial arts team and guess who my instructor was? Him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to follow him. You tell me to kick, I'll kick. I'll kick higher. He inspired me. He would take his classes seriously. He would walk with confidence. He would, it was just amazing to watch him. I thought, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. Fast forward 20 years. I'm with my son, and we, we go into a class, and the instructor walks in drunk, or I guess he was, he was hungover. And he's trying to teach the students, and I walk up to him, and I said, are you drunk? And, and we had a back and forth. I took my son and left. That was not what I wanted my son to be think associating with martial arts. I wanted him to understand that it's so much more than that. What is happening? What is happening? One person, one person shifted my opinion, my thoughts, on an entire concept. I left the school because I'm like, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. I'm not exposing my child to this. One person. He's a good guy. He is a really good guy. He may have just have had a bad night. I just wanted you to know how I, Sajjan Sharma, looked into that world and how it affected me. He was repping. He was an ambassador for martial arts, for Taekwondo, which I took very seriously at the time. And it is not something I wanted to be a part of. There is a world that is watching you. There is a world that looks at you and goes, what is Christ really like? Is he a hypocrite? Is he, is he the real thing? He watches you. And, and they're wondering, is this real? 
In the scriptures here, the Bible says, listen, listen, let me be clear. You are an ambassador for Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to be an ambassador? It means when you've made Jesus Lord, a little bit of heaven walks around this earth now. That's you. You are an ambassador. Did you know that the U.S. embassy in, foreign, in a foreign land is actually U.S. territory? When I lived in Albania, there, there was a U.S. embassy. And once you stepped over a threshold, you were on U.S. soil. Didn't have to fly on an airplane, didn't have to go anywhere. You were on U.S. soil. And in, on U.S. soil, in the cafeteria, they had hamburgers. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, why, you know what I was looking for. They, 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 had, they had American M&Ms. I know. It's a big deal. They, they had all these things. It was, a, it was a little bit of America right there. The ambassador, wherever he went, everybody looked at the ambassador and go, and went, is that America? Is that what Americans are like? Is that what it means to be an American? The scripture uses that analogy and says to all those, says to the church, if you made Jesus Lord, if you made Jesus Lord, then you're representing him. You're rep so be careful. So be careful in the choices you make. Be careful with the posts you put up. Be careful. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty powerful. And, and what you notice right away, what you, what you see right away, especially with, with, uh, with ambassadors, is they are different. They are just different people. So when you meet with, with, when you meet with the American ambassador in, in another country, he's American. When you meet with a French ambassador here in America, they're French. You, they, they, they carry that part of them. In the same way, we are meant to carry a part of heaven where we go. The part I want to share with you today that I think separates us from the world, that attribute, is called holiness. Let's turn our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Holiness. This is, a, this is a religious word, or it's become a religious word, but it's really a very simple word. It's a very straightforward word. Holiness just means separate. So you can have, let's say you have 12 eggs. You take one egg and put it over here. That's the holy egg. That's the holy egg. It's separate from the other eggs. We are meant to be holy. We are meant to be separate than the world. We're not, and when, 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 somebody, when somebody kind of sells out, and, and I think the expression is they, they go, they, they, they become like their environment. They, they, they lose their ability to represent. Holiness is in, intended to make sure we, as individuals, retain the little bit of heaven that God has placed within our lives as we walk around, as we serve, as we give, as we love. So in Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to look at holiness here and, uh, and do a little study of it. In verse 1, it says, in, in, the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. 
With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. This is Isaiah speaking. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with, his, with the tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Here am I, send me. Holiness. God was holy. He was different than the rest of the world. He, there was, there's something about it that is super important for us to grasp. Because what, what, what happens to a church, especially a church over time, is we, 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 have a, we carry a different standard, but we look to see how we can make that standard work well with the world. And what, God, what the Bible is saying is, as we do that, we lose our ability, we lose our capacity to testify, to be ambassadors to God, for God. And so God himself is holy. And, and the description of holiness is brought throughout Scripture. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. This is Moses and the burning bush. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God tells Moses not to come any closer, that if he comes any closer, because God is so holy, he will get hurt. And it's pretty, pretty incredible what he says to do. Take off your shoes. Why take off your shoes? This is, this is not a very American thing, but you see it in other cultures. What, what do shoes represent when you walk into a certain place? Dirt. Actually, the world. You're bringing in the world to this holy place. Stop that. That's what he's saying. Stop that. Take your shoes off and then walk to me. Walk to me. And, and you'll notice, you'll notice that when people are in, in, in the habit of being holy, they will know when they have acquired dirt. And they will know when they need to take it off. Holiness is such an important attribute, and it speaks to each of us. The older we get, the more dirt we allow to stay on our feet. The more we just walk around and just allow it to be everywhere. And God is saying, no, when you enter my house, take off your shoes. Know that I do not want the world in this place. I'm looking for something very different. There are two kinds of purity the Bible speaks to. Immoral purity, right? Behaving perfect. And I think Tara did a great job talking about how the pressure of that can crush us. And, and, uh, and, and that level of perfectionism, which, by the way, I've never really struggled with. I'm, I just kind of move on with life. Um, I know, I do. I, I struggle with it. But 
we can struggle to be morally pure. And, and what we discover, especially through the Old Testament, is it's really not possible. You can try and try, but you're going to fall short. You're going to fall short. Moral purity is not something that we can obtain through willpower. And then there is the other one, ritual purity. You get pure through a ritual, through, through a particular way of doing things. So what they would do is, okay, so the, 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 the Israelites determined that they, would, they were impure. They could not keep the law. So what did God give them? He gave them rituals in which to purify themselves. What were those rituals? Baptism, sacrifices. They would have to wash themselves multiple times. They'd have to sacrifice animals uh, so that their sin can be atoned for. They'd have to, they, they would have to sprinkle the blood around the altar. They, there were so many different things that they had to do in order to achieve purity. And, and so we see this to, to achieve that holiness, that separateness from the world. And it's important for us to grasp that these two things all happen for us in one man. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Why am I speaking about holiness today? Why is this, why is this a topic for us as a church? I speak to it because the last two years have been difficult. The last two years we've been on our own. And I can't tell you, in the last six months, I've been a Christian for over 26 years. And I think I may have heard a curse word come out of a, a Christian's mouth once or twice. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it lately. I'm like, what? What, what just? You're allowed to be mad. What just came out of your mouth? I'm like, oh. And I'm wondering if you say it in front of me, what are you saying when I'm not around? I, what are you saying in front of your kids? What are we saying at work? I mean, we, there's no excuse for it. And that's just a physical thing. We can get through that. But now then it makes me wonder, drinking. How much alcohol have we learned to take in the last couple of years? Because it's just become normal. And, 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 and it concerns me for us. Because the church loses its holiness when we start becoming like the world. And my fear is that we're becoming like the world. Listen, I'm not here to make you all feel bad. I am here to call us back to a standard of being ambassadors for Christ. If you choose not to be, that's on you. You can do that. That's a choice you can make. If you're failing at it, the Bible gives you a, a way forward. Confess. Let's talk about it. And then repentance. That's the cleansing part. He gives us a way forward. Too many of us are hiding, and the last two years have taught us to do that. And that is why I want to remind us today, holiness. I want to remind us of who we are, ambassadors. I want to remind us that when we enter God's presence, we take off our shoes. We take off the world, and we enter it in a way that I think lifts God up. In Leviticus chapter 7, 
The Bible says, whenever, in verse 26, and when, wherever you live, you must not eat the blood of any bird or animal. Anyone who eats blood must be cut off from their people. Numbers 19, verse 11, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves from the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then they will be clean. But if you do not purify yourselves on the third and seventh day, they will not be clean. What is happening here? The God, God is giving a way forward in terms of being clean. In, in terms of being cleansed, and is helping us understand what's going to take place. But the Bible acknowledges, the Bible acknowledges that there is a shortcoming, that, there, that man, humanity will be unclean. And so what's the solution? Is the solution for us to feel bad? Is the solution for us to live in guilt? Is the solution to beat ourselves down? Absolutely not. This is referred to as the good news. The good news is you don't have to be this way. It's important to acknowledge where we're at. And I think many in this room need to, myself included, acknowledge where we're at. And then be reminded that we have a way forward. We have a way forward. That way forward goes back to Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah chapter 6, let's go back there. What do we see? What do we see? We see a man come before God, come before the altar, and he recognizes his condition. He recognizes that he has fallen short of, of, of where God needs him to be, to be that ambassador. And what does, what's the first thing he says? He says in verse 5, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What's he do? What's the first thing? And this is the path forward for us is the acknowledgement of where our nature is at. We don't have to be condemned by it. We're able to tell God where we're at. And look at what God does. God responds immediately. How does God respond? He sends the angel. He, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. This coal is from the altar. And in the Old Testament, the fire often represents God's wrath which he has taken from his tongs from the altar. When it touched my mouth, he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. How did, what does that mean? What does that mean? His sin is, take, his sin is atoned for. What, what's that mean? It's me, it means that God has opened a door through his wrath. That coal represents his wrath. Many of us are sitting here going, what does, I don't know, that's scary. That's scary. But if we, if we continue to do the study, and if we continue to look, let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. We, we see that God provides a way forward. A, a way where we will not be ruined. Because if you notice something about Isaiah, the, the coal touched him. God's wrath touched his lips. He did not burn up. He did not burn up. Rather, he was cleansed. In verse 1 of Ezekiel chapter 47, the Bible says, The man brought me, brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced, the, uh, faced east. The water was coming down from under the south of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from, from the south side. 
As the man went eastward with the measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and that led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to my waist. He measured off another thousand cubits, but now it was a river that I could not cross. Because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross, he, he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the water. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be a huge number of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engeglame. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. What do we see here? We see God saying, I will take that which is dead, the Dead Sea, and I will provide the living water that will bring it back to life. I will give you what you need to come back to life. How does this work? How does this work? We're getting there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, let's turn to John chapter 7. So how, where does the living water come from? How does it enter our lives? It says in John chapter 7, verse 37, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not, been, had not yet been glorified. What is happening? Jesus is saying, I will be that living water for you. I will provide for you that which will make up for all of your iniquities, help you to be atoned. But how does that work? Where does that happen? Because remember with Isaiah, what was it that cleansed Isaiah? Fire. Specifically, his wrath. And what we see is that in order for us to be atoned, this wrath has to play a part. This wrath has to play a part. And so as we go through scripture, we recognize Jesus takes on the sins of humanity. Turn to uh, uh, Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5, we see all of this coming together in one act, in one moment. 
See, the wrath of God had to go somewhere. The wrath of God had to cleanse something. And where does it go? Because if it was to go upon us, we would be utterly destroyed. In Romans chapter 5, it says in verse 6, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The fire, the wrath went upon him. That which would cleanse us was taken on to him. And this, this suffering that he went through, this pain that he went through, was all so that you wouldn't have to. See, God knew, God knew that you couldn't, through your sheer will, be different. You could try. But he believed that if you saw how much he loved you, you would never quit, you would never quit or stop trying. That you would fight every single day. You would never give up hope. You would know that when you were your worst, the wrath of the Lord went upon him. And then what does the Bible say? When he is glorified, the spirit comes down. It becomes that water that Ezekiel was talking about. That living water. And, and the further we go into it, the higher the water goes, the, the more it enriches us. Did you notice in Ezekiel, though, there was a part of the land that would not be refreshed? What part was that? The swamps and the marshes. There will be some, there will be hearts that resist. There will be hearts. The Bible talks about four kinds of soils, four types of people, and one of them takes in the word and lives it out. The other three, they stray. So the challenge for us today is very simple. It's very straightforward. It's to ask us, how are we doing? How are we doing at being his ambassadors? How are we doing at living life differently? I'm going to end with this scripture. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's one we started with. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. If you are in Christ, what does the Bible say? It says you are not that person any longer. You have been cleansed. All this is from God who reconciled to us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. What is our charge? Our charge is to go into the world and to be ambassadors, to be different. And what does being different mean? Many of us want it to mean just being perfect. That's not. But it means when you make a mistake, you acknowledge it. It means when you, when you err and you fall short, you're ready to be different and change. That's what it's talking about. We are to be as ambassadors. We are to go into the world and speak to the men and women there of what Christ can bring for them. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. My charge for the church is very simple. It's for us to remember who we are. It's to remember what we do. We are his ambassadors. We are to go into the parts of the world that we have been given, wherever it may be. We're not to represent just ourselves. We are to represent him and remind the world that there is hope, that we can get through this, that we can be a light on the hill, and that there is a way out. The world needs it right now. You have it. Let's go out and give it to them. Thank you. This has been an episode of the Pioneer Valley Church of Christ podcast. To learn more about us, visit our website at www.pioneervalleycoc.org. Thank you.